everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where it's rate limit exceeded season. NBA free agency has shut Twitter down while the Lakers were busy mopping up other teams this past weekend with some of the most team-friendly value contracts this offseason has ever seen. More importantly, Rui, Reeves, Vando, and D'Lo are all back. So this is what I like to call the once more with feeling, Lakers. Let's go! I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. And Tommy, the Lakers were a Western Conference finalist team last year. Their main opponent, the Denver Nuggets, lost one of their top five players in Bruce Brown. Meanwhile, the Lakers retained all of our key pieces, and then on top of that, shored up other areas of need and built on top of that. How are you feeling about free agency thus far? I think it's honestly, it's been an amazing free agency. It it followed up on like a really good draft. And I just think you kind of see the vision that, you know, the front office has for the roster and how this, how they want this group to play with Jarvin Ham. And they really targeted guys that sort of hit on needs that we had, like very obvious needs from prior or from last year. Right. So I thought overall a home run. And, you know, of course we could always nitpick like, the detail some certain details but i i just you know in the realm of you know what could have happened this offseason this was pretty much you know among the best case scenarios in my opinion yeah i have to agree with you i feel like palinka carried over his master class from the trade deadline into this offseason and literally carried over right because he actually retained the right guys in terms of the dudes who played a substantial role for the lakers up until the playoffs and yeah, I think when you look at what he's collected as a whole and then you compare and contrast that to some of the deals that were going out to a lot of these other free agents. And I think from an asset valuation standpoint, and you rarely say this about the Lakers, right? <laughs> from an asset valuation standpoint and in terms of the economical efficiency with which Rob Palinka spent his money, I think we blew everybody out of the water. You can argue about like the collection of talent and who had the best free agency, but I don't think you can argue with the value that we got right on down the line from Austin Reeves' contract, like $14 million. I mean, just Austin Reeves alone, right? $14 million averaged annually over four years. Um, D'Angelo Russell's contract, $17 million the first year, $20 million the next year. Uh, Torian Prince on the BAE. I mean, we'll get into all these individual guys specifically, but in terms of just like, we get we went bargain bin shopping in like the best sense of the word essentially and we got all the guys that we needed and this is not even taking into account the just natural default positive regression of more continuity with some of our key guys right uh hopefully better health for some of our main guys in lebron james and anthony davis and so yeah, I can't say enough about what rob has done thus far we still have two roster spots left but i guess if you look at this team right now as a whole, before we get into the individual guys, on the macro, what 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 do you think Rob Palinka had in mind here? What was what was he trying to build here? Any sort of themes you're seeing? I think the main one obviously was retaining key free agents, and he's uh, held up to that word. He's held true to his word. He's retained Rui Hachimura. Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell. He picked up Jared Vanderbilt's. Uh, non-guaranteed contract but aside from that like any themes you're seeing of like what kind of guys he was targeting here i guess the i guess the main themes 
was or was really like size at every position. I'd say it's size, mm-hmm. toughness, and you know, def- at defense or at least defensive upside. I think you know what clearly helped us win in 2020 and what helped us have a pretty, in hindsight especially, competitive roster in 2021 despite the injuries was we sort of stuck to like the formula that has seemed to work with LeBron and AD, which is basically put size, athleticism, and defense around them at every position. They'll be able to generate enough offense either, you know, between the two of them and also creating for others. And like, you know, we have D'Lo, we have Reeves, we have guys who have shown they can score. Um, Rui, like playing with LeBron and AD. So like just getting guys who are going to lock in defensively and do the little things. Because as we all like, you know, saw again with this deep playoff run, the deeper and deeper you get into the playoffs, the less it becomes about like, do you have like eight guys who can all score 10 points a game and more? Do you have eight to 10 guys you could put on the, you can, you can keep on the floor because they can perform defensively and get stops for you. And I just think that, like, we've really, really addressed that. I mean, like, for years we've had this issue with with wing size, right? And now we have Rui, Vando, LeBron, and Prince, who all four of those guys can guard threes and fours. They can all switch like crazy. Some of them can even size up to defense centers. They can all move their feet in the perimeter. And as your fifth, like, sort of project development forward, you have Cam Reddish, who's like six seven with a crazy wingspan and athleticism. And, you know, you can kind of see what he can do. And it's just like such a stark contrast, right? When we were starting going into the season last year, it's like, who are our wings going to be? Well, we used our MLE signing on Lonnie Walker, who is six foot four, despite the fact that we had Reeves and all these other guys, like, you know, all these other guards on the roster. And it just feels like the way they spent the money was and the kind of guys they targeted made a lot more sense, I think, than it has in in prior years. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like, yeah, to to reiterate your point, I think they were going for a lot of size, versatility, shooting, and skill. We got a good balance of some upside swings and some younger veterans. And I want to say younger veterans because I feel like since the 2021 offseason, we totally abandoned uh, the going for over the hill veterans who, you know, in the locker room may pay off, in crunch time situations may pay off because they've been in every sort of context. But I like rightfully so, I feel like Rob Palenka kind of hedged the middle and said, okay, we don't have to go too far one way and just get veterans who literally their legs are dying, right? Let's yeah. get veterans who are still maybe late 20s but have been around the league enough, but still have enough juice to get this thing done. And that's what you got with Torian Prince and Gabe Vincent. Although, you know, when we get to Gabe Vincent, I want to talk about him a little bit because he's kind of deceptively a veteran, but not, or he's kind of deceptively not a veteran, if that makes any sense. His career kind of started later. He's 27 years old, but this is kind of the first year that he's really kind of done anything. So in some senses, he's kind of a, he, as I've said, kind of like four different times, he's sort of a late bloomer. Uh, and, and we'll get to Gabe Vincent. But in terms of what, what, what we did this offseason, balancing out the needs of the roster and then balancing out the age aspect of getting some upside swings in that you can give Phil Handy to sort of develop a la Rui Hachimura, and then balancing that out with tried and true younger veterans like Torian Prince, Gabe Vincent, and we'll see who else they get with their last two roster spots. 
I think it's a perfect blend. And then I, I also want to, throughout the course of this episode, I'm going to keep hammering home the fact, Tommy, that we also got Rui Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt, D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, because I think they're a part of yeah. this entire package. They're the main part of this package, actually. And so really quickly, I, I put this on Twitter, but just to refresh your memory, I don't think you need some refreshing, but in 2021, here was our offseason, Tommy. Yeah. Avery Bradley, 6'2". Yeesh. Rajon Rondo, 6'1". Yeesh. Obviously, Russell Westbrook, 6'3". Kendrick Nunn, 6'3", even though that was one of our more exciting signings. Malik Monk, 6'3". <laughs> THT resigned, 6'4". Wayne Ellington, 6'4". Kent Bazemore, 6'5". Okay? And then the, and the guys who were actually above 6'5", Carmelo Anthony and Trevor Ariza. They were 38 they were years old. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. You know, like, it's such a stark difference from that. Such a stark difference from even last year when we got Patrick Beverly, 6'2". Dennis Schroeder, 6'1". Lonnie Walker, 6'4". JTA, 6'5". Troy Brown Jr., 6'6". That was the edge of it. You know, this year we started off with a bang, Tommy. We got Torian Prince right at 6'7", yeah. 6'8". And I was, I was like, a, That was oh, a great surprise. A that was a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be a different offseason, and thank God it was, because we even got Torian Prince's protege in 6768 Cam Reddish, and from there, you know, we took off. All right, so with that said, how would you, and again, we're going to get to the individual guys soon, but in the macro, how would you grade this Lakers offseason thus far? Uh, keeping in mind that we still have two roster spots to fill, likely one, but so far, how would you, what grade would you give Palinka? You can you can maybe split this up if you want to say like grading it as a whole and then grading the new guys. But yeah, how would you grade them? I think for me, it's easy. A um, I think Plinka, there were a few ways we could have gone. Right. I think going Vincent with the full MLE. Look, that is that is definitely the one that could swing either way. But I think it was an interesting choice that <clears throat> wasn't really on any of our radars. But now when you look at our guard rotation, D'Lo Reeves and Vincent are all like NBA playoff ready guards. So you feel confident with those three. When you're thinking about that fourth guard spot, you know, Hood Shafino, Christie, and Max Lewis, and Cam Reddish, frankly, I think are all going to be competing for that fourth rotation guard spot. I think that's going to be a really healthy competition. And whoever emerges from that group should give us great minutes. You know, when you look at the forwards, it just makes sense. Rui, Vando, LeBron, Prince. And again, you have, kind of have Reddish who can swing between the forward and even guard spots, right? So, like, it all makes sense. All four of those guys can play, like, either forward position. I mean, other than LeBron, obviously, you can imagine starting or having any of those guys come off the bench. Um, AD, to put a guy like Jackson Hayes around him. I know Jackson Hayes has his off-court issues he hasn't really turned into the player that people thought he was going to be when he was drafted in the lottery. Um, but he has a ton of upside and he has something to play for. And he has a ton of athleticism and he can do some things. Um, I just think like you can't. And then when you couple that with the two ways, by the way, Cole Swider, Colin Castleton and Hodge, like it just everything about this group makes sense. It's super, super balanced and I just think like the things that hurt us last year, namely wing size, really size at every position, we've addressed by adding two big bigger guards in Vincent at 6'3", who's 
bigger than Schro- uh, Schroeder, adding Hood Shafino, who's like a solid 6'5", 6'6", you know, moving Christie into the rotation, adding Reddish and Lewis, like 6'7", guys, right? So, like, we address those size needs. We address the need of having a maybe better point of, a fa- uh, point of attack defender in, in Vincent as compared to Schroeder. I just think, like, everything we needed to address, we addressed. The only... You know, we'll see what we do about the 14th spot. I imagine they're going to try to get a floor uh, floor spacing big. If we add Bamba on the minimum <laughs> after like doing all of this stuff, it's just like it's even going to be like a, it's going to be like a grand slam as opposed to like just a home run at this point. But I, I, I just think it's a clear home run. And, and for me, it's a clear A. Yeah, um, for me, I, I agree with you for the most part. I, I think I'll separate my grades out a little bit. In terms of in terms of the new signings, I would give the Lakers a B plus just because the Gabe Vincent deal. I like Gabe Vincent as a player, but I have questions about opening up the non-taxpayer Emily or going that route and Gabe Vincent being your primary target. I don't think he was our primary target, by the way. Obviously, it was a guy like Bruce Brown, but. I have questions about the allocation of that, although in the aggregate, those questions become a lot more palatable. But that's the only reason why I give the new signings a B plus. But also I have some questions about Gabe Vincent's size and his game in general, which we'll get to. But overall, if you take into account retaining some of the key guys and the contracts that they sign, then I have to give the Lakers and Rob Palenka a solid A like you um, for this entire offseason. Because really, again, if you had just brought back all of the same guys and Adatorian Prince, I'm like, A. You know what I mean? So the fact that we were able to bolster our core and then add some upside swings on the minimum, like Cam Reddish, Jackson Hayes, and then replace Dennis Schroeder with Gabe Vincent. And you know, for me, Tommy, that is a huge, that's a big deal. I really like that swapping. Uh, shout out to, you know, Dennis Schroeder and, and Lonnie Walker, the guys who went out. They were, you know, key integral pieces to last year's team but they clearly had their flaws and I felt like the Lakers addressed some of those flaws with their new signings. So in, in totality, I, I give the Lakers a solid A. I give the new signings maybe like a B, B plus pending what happens with this Gabe Vincent deal. I do find it interesting, Tommy, that Gabe Vincent got a three-year deal and I believe it's all fully guaranteed, right? Yeah. This has to be Polinka's first three-year deal that he gave out to like an MLE, non-taxpayer MLE guy right maybe even any free agent not named anthony davis and lebron james i think it's any free agent yeah because we've i mean up until this past year i mean we had no turn uh roster turnover after or not as much roster turnover after the first championship but all the guys we signed with our mle and all our other exceptions that year were all one-year deals um with the second year player option right so this is the first time we've signed free agents including our own guys that are not lebron and ad to multi-year i guess except for tht right right so obviously i i love the vision because we've been clamoring for continuity in a while i just find it kind of bizarre that gabe vincent would be the first and again he's not technically the first because this is trickling down from austin reeves right austin reeves Rui hachimura's retainment But it's just funny that he would be the first guy to sort of get this three-year deal. But yeah, overall, an A, the Lakers have the best value, best bang-for-your-buck signings this offseason, I feel like, right on down the line. And before we take it to break, what were your thoughts on the Austin Reeves deal? Because, look, I'll give it to you. You were right about teams not giving him an offer, but I think you were right for 
reasons that you didn't anticipate. And by reasons you didn't anticipate, I mean, I don't think either of us thought the Lakers would match a max offer for Austin Reeves the time that we did that segment on his contract, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think we thought they would give, them, give him the max or match a max offer. But I think what changed, Tommy, is that the Lakers did a really great PR job. And I think they were, I think they were being genuine about it. But they really pushed this narrative. And again, it's not a narrative. They really pushed the fact that they were going to match any offer for Austin Reeves. Don't even bother. If you bother, we're just going to tie up your cap space for the longest time, allotment of time that we can. And it's just going to be, be a useless venture for you, right? And so I think because they pushed that out to the public so brashly and blatantly, teams were like, yeah, this is a waste of time. Let's just uh, take in Joe Harris's contract and get an asset in return, like the Detroit Pistons. And then the Spurs, I forgot what the Spurs did. I think they re-signed a bunch of their own guys, right? Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on Austin Reeves' deal? Because 50, $56 million over four with a player option the third year, we got Austin Reeves locked in at three years at an average annual salary of $14 million. Like... That has to be the best contract this offseason because you're looking at Dylan Brooks with 20 million, even Bruce Brown, 25 million a year or something. Yeah, what are your thoughts on retaining Reeves at that deal? It was like that when we saw that news come through our timeline, and actually we didn't see that news because rate limit exceeded. Uh, we had to look on Reddit to see what was happening around the NBA this past weekend. But when we finally saw that Austin Reeves had been retained, and at that number, that was the grand slam home run for me. So what are your thoughts on the Austin Reeves uh, deal? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was such an obvious offer. And I think the thing that, I mean, that your point about the PR stuff, right, is I think well taken. And these are all little things that maybe make a difference. But like, you know, for, we know, we, we knew what the offer for Austin, the max offer for him would have been, right? And we knew what other teams could offer and it was more than what we could offer, but we could match. And, you know, we're all familiar with the circumstances there. But the fact that they came out, like, right, minute one of free agency, here is literally the most player-friendly version of the max offer that we can give you. And, like, we're not even messing around. It's the max years, the max dollar amount, the max trade kicker, so that it makes it harder for us to trade you, theoretically. Although, given the value of his contract, I don't even think that's going to be that big of a deal. Um, and a fourth year player option. So you can opt out and try to get another deal later. It, it, it Every aspect of it was the most player friendly thing we could do. It just was like getting him without having to deal with that inflated, you know, a uh, poison pill contract. I know that's partially like not really, you know, uh, maybe not, maybe they don't deserve too much praise for that. Cause it re- required someone else to kind of, make him that offer. But I mean, again, to your point, they sort of put the messaging out there that don't even waste your time because it's getting, it's getting matched. Um, they handled that really well. Um, and it was just like one example of, of how they handled like everything really well. And like you said, like Austin Reeves now all of a sudden becomes like probably the best value free agent contract out of this entire class. And you know, who knows what's going to happen post LeBron AD with this roster, but you figure you at least have Austin for like, one more year on a pretty good contract that's going to be pretty valuable if like, you know, who knows what's going to happen and you decide to blow it up, like that's going to be a really really valuable contract. Yeah, I agree. Like that's that made the off season for me, that made the off season for a lot of Lakers fans. HBK is back. The D'Angelo Russell deal, I felt like they handled that pretty well too and I was starting to have my doubts the longer and longer it drew out, right? 
obviously D'Angelo Russell kind of did this to himself with his Western Conference play, but I feel like even the structure of the contract made sense for both parties because they gave him a player option that second year, you know? So for D'Angelo Russell, two years, $37 million, I think we both thought his lowest amount he would get would maybe be 20, you know? I mean, he's going to get that his second year, but the fact that the first year coming in, he's going to get 17.6 million, the next year 19 to 20 million. That is a fair price for D'Angelo Russell, and because he has a player option next year, he can go back into the market if he has a really good year. And for me, this is good because D'Angelo Russell, for him, this is sort of like a pseudo contract year, right? So he has to actually ball out if he wants a newer, longer-term contract. And obviously for the Lakers, you keep the asset. That's the most important part. But at the same time, you also want to see D'Angelo Russell with this core group of guys in a, in a prolonged training camp period where they have time to actually grow and build off of what they did towards the end of the regular season and even the playoffs. So um, any thoughts on the D'Angelo Russell deal? Because I don't, you know, that's... That is a great deal for D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell, it's kind of a bummer for him, but he like clearly, I think, left $5 million on the table or so uh, with his performance in the last round of the playoffs. Um, that said, it like worked out really, really nicely for us. And again, I mean, we kind of discussed this before free agency even started, but and and you were talking about this kind of stuff on Twitter, I saw at some point too, but... Even though we knew that there was literally no other team that could make D'Angelo Russell an offer in the in the way that we could, it doesn't mean you need to come out and lowball the guy, right? Like, yeah, you know, there are people out there on Twitter who are like nobody can pay him. You know, only only people can pay him like the bigger MLE. So just thirteen million. <laughs> just give him thirteen million. It's still more. You know what I mean? Or give him fifteen million. And it's like no, you gotta like. I think, again, part of the reason we were able to get to a deal with him so quickly is because we gave him something that made sense for both sides. Like, he has the player option. So, like, if he comes out and balls out this year, everybody wins. The Lakers, D'Angelo balling out means likely the Lakers had a very good year. And so, whatever, he opts out. And then, like, because you have Vincent and Reeves and Christie and Lewis and Huchifino and all these other kind of young guys uh, looming in the background... Whatever, it's mutually beneficial. D'Angelo leaves, gets a bigger payday somewhere else, and we have some young guys who are kind of we're grooming in the background who can step in and fill that void. If it doesn't work out, D'Angelo opts in, and he's an expiring contract on like a fairly reasonable, like market-friendly deal. A lot of teams would pay a guy like D'Angelo Russell eighteen to twenty million for one season to be their starting point guard. You know, so like it, it the deal just makes so much sense, and it works on so many levels. And I just, you know, we kind of speculated where D'Angelo's number was going to end up. And it seemed like at times to think that like 18 million was going to be too optimistic. And he basically got a deal that started there. Right. So, again, just like, a, you know, you've said masterclass by Rob over and over. And I agree with with that. And when it comes to like this contract in particular, it's it just makes a lot, a lot, a lot of sense. Um and and yeah, I, I don't know. Can't say anything else better about it. It, it. There were no other guards who could match what D'Angelo did, right? And getting Vincent was a nice first uh, strike in free agency, I thought. But D- Gabe Vincent is not going to replace the things that D'Angelo could do for us, right? So it was important yeah. to get him locked in, too. Yeah, Robbie P doing work with ice in his veins. Uh, let's move on to, or let's take it to break when we return 
let's get into what you've all been waiting for, the new Lakers, the new signings. So we will catch you guys after the turn. Hey guys, quick call to action for yours truly, the Lakers Legacy Podcast. If you guys have enjoyed our off-season content this season, especially our NBA draft content, and you guys have gotten all the little nuggets and hot takes that you needed, if you love all of our Moneyball margin options on the free agency market and stuff like that that we've thrown out in the past. If you just enjoy consuming our content, please, please, please take a moment to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Also, please take a moment to give us a five-star thumb tap on the Spotify app. Just search for the Lakers Legacy Podcast on the Spotify app and click that five-star dial at the top of our page. It's that easy to do. Everybody has the Spotify app. We would greatly appreciate it. It will do a lot in determining the future of this show moving forward, especially as we head into the 2023-24 season. But for those who have supported us and continually listened, shared, subscribed, given us reviews, given us five stars, for those who have given us money via Patreon, we truly appreciate you. If you haven't done any of these things yet, please consider doing so. It would mean a lot. And again, at this point, it's the only thing that drives this show. With that said, Thank you for consuming our content, and please enjoy the rest of the show. All right, so we are back. Tommy, the Lakers now have, I'm sure all of you have seen this by at this point, the Lakers have the number eight, number nine, and number 10 picks of the 2019 draft, I believe. I think Jackson Hayes was number 10, right? Rui yeah. Hachimura was eight, and Cam Reddish was number nine. That's crazy, and that's fun to think about. We also have the number 12th pick of the 2016 draft in Torian Prince, so that's cool. Uh, <laughs> so we didn't, we haven't got into this, but now that we've left the macro talk, my one main concern for the Lakers, though, in their collection of talent is the fact that I don't think we have a downhill driver at the guard or wing position at this point, outside of obviously LeBron James, and you could you know put Austin Reeves into this category, but because we lost Dennis Schroeder, and to a lesser extent, maybe Lonnie Walker, although Lonnie Walker didn't really even drive that much either. It was mainly just Dennis Schroeder. I feel like we don't have a guard with perimeter ball handling skills or a wing with those skills who takes it to the rim aggressively. You know, At this point, Cam Reddish may actually be our best option at that in terms of on-ball creation, driving it into the lane, getting fouls, et cetera, et cetera. And at this point, we're not even sure if Cam's going to get minutes. So that's one thing that I'd kind of like to highlight right now. Any thoughts on that or any other areas of concern that you see right now? And I, and I agree with that. And I think so, you know, the rumors are we're going to use the 14th roster spot on a big man, which I think makes sense. And then they're going to try to do what they're going to, what they've done in previous seasons, which is kind of go into the season and see exactly what are the needs. And I think we can predict what it's going to be this year, right? It's like kind of like last year, we were like, okay, well, clearly we need like size or a wing or something. This year, I think it's like you said, we need a guard who can put some pressure on the rim going downhill. And I think like, you know, there are guys like that who emerge on minimum, you know, potential minimum contracts, guys are going to get bought out. Um, There's all kinds of things that are going to happen. So I think we can, we have a chance of addressing it that way. I think in terms of what we do have, you know, and I sort of alluded to this, the thing that makes me excited about sort of our backcourt competition right now is we have a bunch of young guys who are going to be hungry for minutes. I think Cam Reddish has not gotten a chance, right, in this league. He has not gotten, like, consistent chance for a variety of reasons, and maybe he hasn't stepped up. But 
you know, the ri- the writing is on the wall at this point. He's he's come off, you know, his rookie deal into a minimum contract. That's not like the position you want to be in as a lottery pick. I think the fact that him, Christie, and Hood Shafino are really going to be competing for that like backup shooting guard position is going to kind of put pressure on one of them to develop the skills that are lacking in on this roster, which are going to be downhill attacking. And you've been posting the last like day or so a lot about Cam Reddish's like what he's sort of shown in terms of his flashes with downhill attacking. And I think like if he is able to step up there and, and be a guy who can do that for us, I'm less worried, but to your point, yeah, I mean, there is some concern that maybe we need another guy who had, who's, who's a little bit more um, developed with those types of skills. Yeah, but we'll see who emerges. I'm sure they will suss these things out as the season goes. And again, we only really lost Dennis Schroeder in that respect. So if Cam Reddish can approximate those types of things or Max Christie grows into that type of player, to your point, I think we should be fine. Now, with regards to the new signings, the first signing that came through was Torian Prince. Tommy, Torian Prince was not on our free agency radar because he wasn't a free agent. (laughs) Uh, he was cut out of nowhere by the Timberwolves because they wanted to save some money. And I feel like Rob excels in these types of, you know, out of nowhere, got to scramble sort of moves. And somehow he got Torian Prince to take the $4.5 million BAE deal. I thought he would at least make what he was making with the Wolves at $7 million and maybe thought he could get even more than that. But the fact that we could get Torian Prince... To me, that was the best value signing of the new free agents that we got because we really needed a player like this. I mean, we were racking our heads about maybe we need to just give Jay Crowder like a lot of the non-taxpayer MLE, right? But we essentially got a younger Jay Crowder who's not washed up and over the hill in Torian Prince. And I think a lot of people may be overlooking Prince because he's so boring but he may be the most important acquisition of this offseason, to be honest, because he is that true wing that we haven't had in a while. Not even since KCP, right? Not even not even Kuzma is a true wing. Like, Torian Prince slots right into that 6'7 guy who hits threes, who cuts off ball, can do a little bit of on-ball creation as well, but he is just that defender type as well, who's very physical, will move his feet, he'll get some random block shots on even bigs that drive it into the lane. Like to me, when I saw the Torian Prince signing, I knew that regardless of, well, not regardless, but regardless of what we would do after that point, I would be somewhat happy with our offseason because the Torian Prince signing signaled to me like, oh, this is going to be different. We're going for size. We are addressing the issues that we had this past offseason where we didn't have that in-between wing defender who could also space the floor for us on the other end and not be an offensive liability. We had Jared Vanderbilt, but obviously he got played out, played off the court because he couldn't space the floor. And Torian Prince shores up that hole so perfectly if not boringly. Your thoughts on Torian Prince? Yeah, Torian Prince is just like the exact type of guy that we've seen this front office pass up on so many times, like a relatively young wing, but more more importantly, one with legit NBA size who can guide, guard either forward spot, who can also hit a three fairly reliably. It's like, I guess to your point, like boring, right? Like, but it seems like this is the type of boring player that this front office has like continually passed up on. If anything, I was more expecting them to use the BAE on a guy like Cam Reddish, who like is more in line with what they've typically done, right? It's like you never see them almost I shouldn't say never, but it feels like we've gotten so used to them not doing like making the steady like 
obvious choice in some cases. And I think Torian Prince, if he's willing to take your BAE, like that's an obvious choice. Um, they, it always is like one end of the spectrum, right? It's like somebody who's over the hill who like, you know, you think like you can extract one final year of value or somebody like Reddish who hasn't shown anything and you think you can get get some upside out of him. Like that tends to be like where we've operated. And to get a guy who is already proven and can slot in and be your starter and frankly com- compete with Rui depending on matchups, right? If we end up playing smaller teams mm-hmm. and we need like to start Prince, like he could even start for you. So it's, yeah. And when you're talking about value, it's like that, that, that even, that probably has more value than like our MLE signing even. So it, it was just a great move. Yeah. And he has continuity and chemistry with D'Angelo Russell from their Timberwolves days. I believe he even overlaps with Jared Vanderbilt as well. Um, so Torian Prince. Yeah. This was a guy that we wanted last off season, right? Before the Timberwolves like extended him or re-signed him. So great value get with Torian Prince. He should fit in and slot in, in honestly, any lineup, even the small ball lineups where he may be able to play four as well. Now, the next signing, the MLE signing, Gabe Vincent. Tommy, this guy was not on our radar at all. At this point, I have given up on trying to predict what Rob Palenka will do with the non-taxpayer MLE, MLE signing. This came out of left field. Now, we had talked about Gabe Vincent prior but in all of our discussions, we thought the Miami Heat would just resign him, right? And we thought that we, he would get 8 to $11 million. And I thought, from my perspective, that even if he was going to get that $11 million, given the Lakers' current needs on this roster, they probably sh- should not be allocating that much money to a 6-2 guard. But they did anyways, and... I'll caveat what I'm about to say about Gabe Vincent at the top here because it may sound like I'm down on the guy, but, and you you can attest to this, Tommy. I was high on Gabe Vincent early on before people even had Gabe Vincent on their radar. During the playoffs, I was texting you back and forth and I was saying, yo, let's replace Dennis Schroeder with Gabe Vincent if we yeah. can with like the taxpayer Emily. And and you were actually defending Schroeder and, and telling me, let's not overlook Schroeder's contributions. And I said, I don't care. I was adamant. Uh, Even before Gabe got hot in the playoffs, I was like, no, I would rather have Gabe Vincent. Well, I got my wish. Now, I didn't expect to have Gabe Vincent at $11 million per year uh, on a three-year commitment. But again, if I zoom out and take a look at the contracts in total, everything makes sense. It's just, to me, I just can't get over the fact that, like, we went the non-taxpayer Emily route to inevitably end up with Gabe Vincent, who, again, had a bang-out playoffs, kind of his coming-out party in a sense, um, and really showed his mettle, his toughness, his showed how much of a gamer he was in, in, in the bright lights, which I think those types of qualities endear him to a guy like Rob Palenka, who's looking for win-now dudes. He's a tough defender. Um, and, and look, I, I, I said it on Twitter, I can, this is nitpicky and I can quibble over stuff. For me personally, and I still stand by this, I would rather have split up the non-taxpayer Emily and given $7 million to Javon Carter, which is what he got, and then given the other $5 million to Jalen McDaniels, which is what he got to have, you know, more... Because to me, Javon Carter and Gabe Vincent are essentially the same players. You may argue that Gabe Vincent's like the swaggier player who can get on more hot streaks. But my argument to that is Javon Carter 
did not have the role Gabe Vincent has had in terms of being the starting point guard because Kyle Lowry was washed up. And last year with the Bucks, you saw when Javon Carter got the starting nod, he shot way better than Gabe Vincent. Javon Carter is a better defender. He's made his name as a defender. And so I would have rather had Javon Carter. But at the end of the day, understanding that in the macro, Gabe Vincent is taking over for Dennis Schroeder, I'm ecstatic by that. Because Gabe Vincent is a high-volume shooter who lets that shot off very quickly, unlike Dennis Schroeder. He is going to cause defenses to always hone in on him. The gravity that he possesses as not only a movement shooter, Tommy, but a guy who, for better or for worse, will just pull up out of nowhere off the dribble, right, from three-point land. And I think that type of lethal perimeter weapon is what we needed to replace Dennis Schroeder with while still having the baseline level of tenacity on defense and harassment. So from that end, knowing that Gabe Vincent is a relentless point of attack defender, I I love the swapping of, of Gabe Vincent taking over Dennis Schroeder's role. And obviously he showed us something, right? He showed us something very intriguing in this playoff run where you're like, hmm, can we tap into this right now and get in on the ground level while understanding that there is some risk that there this may be a flash in the pan sort of situation because Gabe Vincent has never done this before. You know, this is his first playoff run where he's done anything of consequence. And for Lakers fans who have never watched Gabe Vincent play, I can attest to this because I placed multiple player prop bets on Gabe Vincent throughout the regular season where I needed him to cover certain point spreads. And I would watch this guy play and I'm like, wait, this guy just keeps chucking the hell out of the ball with no conscience. And he'd have games where he's like literally one of eight from three and he'd still be chucking. And I'm like, what is going on here, right? Now, the good side of that is he's never afraid of the moment and he's never going to be down on himself. Again, even if he's one for seven from three, he will take that next three-point shot with no hesitation. He has that confidence. He has that swagger as a dynamic shooter so i like all those things about gabe vincent um but the one thing that i'd say is i I just hope lakers fans give him the air and space to breathe because i feel like there are a lot of very overreactionary hyperbolic takes on him based off of very extreme recency bias with regards to his playoff run the kind of the same way that lakers fans have had a very extreme uh, recency bias take on D'Angelo Russell's playoff run, but when you stack up both of their averages this playoffs, it's like, wait, D'Angelo Russell still shot better from the field. He still play, was a better playmaker, et cetera, et cetera. It's just Gabe Vincent showed up in the finals and you know was able to withstand like the Bruce Brown KCP attack on him by the Denver Nuggets. But yeah, what are your thoughts on Gabe Vincent? He was the one that not only was shocking to me, but he's the one that I have most, more, most of the questions on or more questions on simply because Again, no matter how good of a defender you are, he's 6'2". He looks really small out there. Um, I think he's a dynamic guy who fits with like a LeBron James team. More so previous LeBron James iterations when LeBron was in his prime. But to me, he's like the more prototypical LeBron James pairing at guard in terms of an off-ball guy who can space the floor for you, but will still be pretty dynamic defensively and will get after it. In fact, Tommy, my sort of player role comp for Gabe Vincent on this team would be uh, 
Mario Chalmers, like what Mario Chalmers was to LeBron James. Because if anybody remembers Mario Chalmers, he was a 3 and D point guard. He played tough defense. He was a great off-ball shooter, off-ball cutter. He did all the little things for LeBron James. And then in a pinch, he could also play make in the pick and roll a little bit. And I think Gabe Vincent can do all of those things. So your thoughts on Gabe Vincent and the Gabe Vincent signing? Yeah, overall, I'm pretty optimistic about it for now, right? And clearly they saw something during the playoffs that they think will be able to carry over into next season. And and by the way, we have seen this, right? Maybe not guys who have one playoff series or two playoff series where they go off. And maybe sometimes in those cases, you don't see that carry over to the following season. But what you do see is guys who make like legit NBA finals runs, take that confidence into next year and build off of it. When we're talking about like what Gabe can do and kind of the uncertainties, right? It's we already are taking some gambles on uncertainties, even with our own roster. Rhea Hachimura, like in 33 games with us, he averaged nine points a game, you know, shot pretty well from the field, 29% from three, 72% from the line. Um, not like the most jump off the page, like exciting numbers. And then obviously he had the very big and uh, uh, helpful run in the playoffs. But, you know, what we've sort of are betting on there is that we know what he can give us defensively. We know that he's developing offensively and he fits what we're trying to do. And he fits like the culture, or the ethos or whatever you want to call it of this team. Um, and so it's kind of worth a gamble. And I think they sort of view Gabe Vincent in a similar way. He fits at the very, very least. He fits the culture of what we're trying to do. He's a guy who will pick up full court kind of like Dennis did. But on the other hand, he's a little bit bigger than Dennis at 6'3". And he's got a 6'6 wingspan. And he's like just a really, really, really tough player. And he's like a pretty elite point of attack defender. So putting all the other stuff aside, like those are all characteristics that we needed for a guy on this roster. And I think Gabe, you know, is going to fill a lot of those. Is it a risk? Yes, because we don't know that what he did last season, he actually can carry through an 82 game season. But if he is able to, it's just going to be like, it, it's going to really, really pay itself off because he is going to give us a lot of flexibility in terms of what we can do with our guards, like during the season and during the postseason next year, um, if he is able to sort of continue what he did with Miami on this last run. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a worthy swing, especially coming off of a pretty substantial, you know, playoff run and even having some big games against Denver in the finals. He inevitably fell off, but I believe he also sprained his ankle or got hurt. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued about uh, Gabe Vincent because th this is a pretty big, not a pretty big gamble, but in terms of the commitment and the money size, you know, it's kind of a steep drop to go from thinking about Bruce Brown, who obviously at the end of it, we're like, okay, he was clearly out of our price range, but it's a big drop from Tommy. I was already, you know, watching tons of Bruce Brown highlights. I'm not sure if you were doing the same, you know, the prior to free agency, the couple hours before, you know, 3 p.m. So to me, it was just the, the, the shock of, sorry, the shock of going from Bruce Brown to Gabe Vincent. Apparently the, the dog that I'm sitting right now does not like the uh, drop from Bruce Brown to Gabe Vincent either, but I think he'll come around like we will. Um, anyways, let's close this episode really quickly on the upside swing, guys. Cam Reddish and Jackson Hayes, I'll put them two together. Cam Reddish, I mean, we called this, Tommy, like when we, we did our very, very early free agency segments. 
we knew that this would probably be the year that Rob Palenka would finally get his Cam Reddish clutch client upside swing wing, and we would be able to do what we did with Rui Hachimura and Phil Handy, and hopefully recreate that process with Cam Reddish. And maybe more apt comparisons would be do what we did with Malik Monk and even Lonnie Walker, and hopefully see that same sort of progression and growth in a guy like Cam Reddish if his role is more solidified and honed in on. Because Cam Reddish is a very, very skilled player. Like, when I actually dug into his tape, I was surprised that my initial perceptions of him were off in that I always thought Cam Reddish was a very explosive player who would just yam on people's heads. And maybe he is that in space, and maybe he was more of that when he was at Duke. But in the NBA, you see why people give him those Paul George comparisons, right? Because he's very fluid and crafty. When he gets into the lane, he knows how to do these up-and-under loop-de-doo layups. He's very slithery, and he has a lot of dexterity in his hands, and he always likes to finish left. He has a lot of agility. People have been calling him non-athletic, but I'm like, how can you not call him athletic when he's going into the lane through, you know, three, six, seven plus guys and finishing a reverse layup on them? You know, like not everyone in the NBA can do that at six, seven and Cam Reddish can. Now, the other parts of his game in terms of consistency, consistency shooting, consistency on the defensive end, all that stuff needs to be ironed out. He's still very raw. But in terms of the innate skills he has as a 6'7 guy who can get into the paint, handle the ball like he does, and then finish the way he does, I mentioned it on Twitter, but Cam Reddish has some Kyrie Irving layup packages to him that were kind of unexpected to me. And I'm willing to give this dude a shot. Like, I'm not saying that Cam Reddish is going to be someone amazing, but... And I could see Max Christie taking minutes from him and having more of a real rotation role over Cam Reddish. I'm just saying I'm willing to give Cam Reddish the same shot that, you know, the Lakers, that some Lakers fans have given to a guy like Lonnie Walker, because I was very low on Lonnie Walker last season, and he proved me wrong. In some senses, he proved me right throughout the course of the regular season when his defense tailed off, but then he proved me wrong again when he came back with the right mindset and came through in a big way during the playoffs. And I think Cam Reddish, with the adults in the room that are around him and the talent in the room around him, plus Phil Handy, I think we could maybe mine something pretty significant here. But yeah, what are your thoughts on Cam Reddish? So Cam Reddish, I mean, he's been linked to us for a while, right? And frankly, out of Duke, if you look at, I mean, he was drafted 2019. That was like the last year that we had been kind of aggressively scouting these lotto picks because we were a lotto team up until then. Um, He was a guy that I remember seeing play at Duke and he was obviously teammates with... uh, RJ Barrett, right? So when he was there, and wasn't Zion on that team too? But when he was there, uh, he was he was hyped, I feel like, at that time. And I guess like seeing him play, I it just never like something about it just never like added up to me. Like I it's like a Duke, he was like this kind of high volume chucker, and he was like supposed to be known as being like a really elite shooter, but he could never really hit the shots consistently and his shot selection was all wonky. So for him, it was always like the Paul George comps existed when he was coming out of college. 
And it was always a question of like, can he put it together? And there was always like, we've seen it with guys even in this past draft, right? How many times have we said like, there aren't that many six, eight guys who can do these types of things with the ball. And Cam Reddish was one of those guys. And you kind of see what happens when it doesn't work out for one of those guys, right? He's never been able to consistently hit threes. I think he had one season where he had a hot run towards like, the end of the uh, you know year he had i'm sorry excuse me he had a good playoff run i think one year with the hawks where he, he hit some threes but he's otherwise never been able to hit them he's never been able to show use his length and show kind of what he can do with his innate physical tools as like a defender um and he clearly has some skills in there i mean like from a shooting perspective, he hits 84% on his career from the line. He's had two, you know, yeah. uh, you know, in, in 21, 22, he shot over 90%. So like he can clearly hit some shots. He's just not been able to put it together. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens this year, because it's not necessarily the case that he's going to be in a different position this year than he has been in prior years. Like he is going to be competing for end of rotation minutes and he very well could lose out on those minutes. So how does he respond and how does he continue to work and stay ready? Um, it's going to say a lot about sort of the rest of his career, frankly, at that, at this point. Yeah, I agree. And I think the one difference may be the fact that this is the first time that he's going to be on a veteran minimum deal. Now he has a player option on the second year, but for all intents and purposes, like this is his last shot too, right? And so far, I feel like we have a pretty good batting average in terms of last shot guys in the NBA who are young and have upside. Cameron is only 23 years old. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and you're right. He is going to have a more tertiary role than he's ever had. But we'll see whether he can lock in defensively, which I think is going to be the biggest thing, right? And under Phil Handy, I have some hopes. As a starter last year with Portland, 20 games, 12 points, 2.7 rebounds, 2 assists, 1.2 steals, which I like, 43% from the field, 33% from three, hitting 1.5 a game. So even in Portland, he showed some flashes, but what's going to happen when he's strictly only getting 10 to 15 minutes, right? Will he be locked in? Will he be engaged? Will he be doing everything off the ball that we need him to do? And will his three-point stroke and shots be there when LeBron James passed him the ball? I will say he's never had the teammates that he's going to have this year, and he's never going to be as open as he is going to be, presumably, this next year with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, even D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves feeding him. So we will see in a more, you know, tailored down role if Cam Reddish can flourish. The, But, I mean, the questions are all there. He has flaws. He's been inconsistent, et cetera, et cetera. But the kid is clearly skilled, and he has abilities, on ball especially, and finishing-wise, that not a lot of guys possess. That's why he was a lottery pick. So I'm interested in seeing whether the Lakers can tap into something here and unlock something with Cam Reddish. If they don't, it's fine. It's a veteran minimum deal, but a great upside swing nonetheless, because as you and I mentioned, I, I think we thought that he was probably going to be a biannual exception taxpayer MLE guy, but the Lakers got him on the vet min bet on yourself deal. Now, the other guy that they got on the vet min bet on yourself deal was Jackson Hayes. And Tommy, I called this. We talked about Jackson Hayes and... At the time we talked about him, you know, a couple weeks ago, I said, I don't know if the Lakers would take this wild of a swing, but they did. And the Lakers, ironically, get one of their picks back from the Anthony Davis trade, the other pick being Nikhil Alexander-Walker. 
but we got Jackson Hayes during that draft year. I was actually very high on Jackson Hayes back then because he reminded me of a more, he reminded me of prime Tyson Chandler, prime Willie Colley Stein, who was just a relentless rim attacker, a crazy floor transition runner, uh, very athletic, explosive, all of those things. And he unfortunately hasn't found his way in the NBA much in the same way that, you know, a guy like Willie Cauley-Stein never could stick. But here is his second chance. I told you guys about Action Jackson. Um, I don't know if you've seen this clip, but Jackson Hayes has this insane transition play where he actually pulls off an in-between-the-legs dunk in-game. Oh, which wow. is wild you know for better or worse it's like jackson hayes does that type of shit uh very much reminds me of a younger javel mcgee for better or for worse in terms of the antics that are involved as well kind of can be a goofy space head but in terms of the talent and the physical specimen man he he is as explosive as it gets at the center position 611 with a seven foot three wingspan but what i like the most about jackson hayes is when he runs the floor he doesn't look clunky he looks like he looks faster than a wing power forward and guard sometimes when he's running the break. Like to me, the mobility that he has, the agility that he has as a 6'11 dude, you don't see that type of motion in those types of guys very often. Usually if you're 6'11 plus, there's some sort of clunkiness to the way you run. But with Jackson Hayes, he looks like LeBron James is running out there, but add a couple more inches and a couple more to his wingspan, you know? Outside of the fact that he is just tremendously explosive. He, he could be a very fun player, but he's a guy that you really need to hone in on. As I mentioned to you when, we, when I first brought him up to you, he has a pretty good shooting stroke. Now, we're not sure whether that's actually going to come into play, as we've seen with Damian Jones, who also had a pretty good three showed pretty good flashes of being able to hit a three-point shot the year prior before we got him. But, you know, Jackson Hayes in 2020-21 hit 20 of, like, 57 from the three-point line. Um, and in 28 games as a starter during that season, 2021-2022, in 26 minutes, Jackson Hayes averaged 11.6 points, six rebounds, one block on 60% from the field, 37% from three, hitting 14 of 37 during that stretch, and 80% from the free throw, free throw line. What is going to translate, though, Tommy, is the shooting touch, because he's a really good free throw shooter um, for a big man, and I really like that aspect to his game. And also, if you see him randomly throw up some hook shots and floaters, you can tell that that, that good touch of his translates to other aspects of his game. But really, you're looking at a rim-running cleaning the glass sort of big man who you hope can also continue his crazy shot blocking, shot swatting, weak side help tendencies with some upside to maybe hit a jump shot or a baseline corner three the way that Jared Vanderbilt has showed us. But I think it's a good upside swing because we desperately needed a big man. Again, we probably need to fortify that spot with a veteran big man because Jackson Hayes could totally lose his way for one reason or another. But in terms of getting the talent in, I'm willing to take a, a swing like this. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Jackson Hayes, again, we talk about like these archetypes of players you see come through the draft. And it's just a, sort of the same way that the past few months we've been talking about guys like, for example, James Najee and Derek Lively. Like, oh yeah, if they're able to put it together, look at how fluid they are for big men and they're super athletic and they can do all these different types of things. Um, But, you know, 
what happens if those guys don't pan out? What happens if those guys don't pan out is you get somebody like Jackson Hayes, right? So he's like sort of, he was always the super high upside guy. You know, we mentioned in 2019, I think he was the number eight pick or whatever. And he's got insane measurables. He's he's built. He's like seven foot tall. He's got good wingspan. He's super explosive off the floor. You would think that in like he would be able to stick in some some capacity. I mean, like, look, he had some things working against him. He was first year in New Orleans, you know, they were rebuilding. It was like obviously post the Anthony Davis trade. Second year, they're like adding Zion Williamson. So, you know, Zion was obviously on the team before, but, you know, actually started playing in games. So, you know, and then they continue to add more and more pieces. They added, uh, uh, what's his name, Valanchunas. And so Jackson Hayes gets pushed further and further out of the rotation and how can a guy like that develop so you know we don't need to get into the details of all of his off-court issues but he does have fairly significant off-court issues and I think the question with him is if he can keep that stuff in check and show up and be like a professional dealing with LeBron and AD the sky is the limit for this guy because we have not had a finishing big like this I mean since like JaVale and Dwight that one year right like Mm -hmm. We've tried to make it work with Wenyon, and it has like it's he Wenyon did a great job for us for like the last couple of years, but a legit seven foot explosive threat off of whether he's catching the ball on the pick and roll or whether he's catching lobs, like he can do some things. So if he can shore up his defense and and show that he can be a contributor in in small minutes, I think his role could continue to grow and grow but on the flip side if he doesn't it's a minimum contract and he'll be at the end of the bench and he'll be a body in the playoffs if we need somebody against Jokic so it's like a no real you know there's no real risk for us I feel like in this in this sort of move Um, especially since we have flexibility to even like cut him sign another player and still stay below the um, hard cap right yep exactly yeah, Jackson Hayes, when you watch his highlights, it looks like sometimes we're watching slam ball, right? The way that he blocks these shots and posterizes defenders, like, it's jarring to see. Almost like watching Zion Williamson when he dunks, or like a prime LeBron James, but at the center spot. So I think we're going to see some amazing highlight reel type stuff from Jackson Hayes getting lob feeds from D'Angelo Russell, Gabe Vincent, LeBron James. So it should be a lot of fun. And again, his biggest selling point to me is running the break in transition. He runs up and down so quickly, so fluidly. He literally sprints down. You rarely get that from a big man. Now, there may be problems with that because you want your big man to stay in the paint and defend adequately. And if Jackson Hayes just wants to run down before he's actually done his job as a big man, that can be problematic for sure. But in terms of the way that this team likes to get out and run, I think Jackson Hayes should amplify that to the max extent I mean, the dude pulled off an in-between-the-legs dunk in transition, which is nuts. Uh, So I'm I'm excited to see what the possibilities are while also maintaining the fact that this could go one way or another. This is the wild, like, this is truly a wild swing with Jackson Hayes, but one that I'm willing to take. And thank you for correcting me. Jackson Hayes was the eighth pick. Rui Hachimura was the ninth pick, I believe. And Cam Reddish was 10. So Jackson Hayes, Rui Hachimura, Cam Reddish. That is crazy that Zion Williamson and Cam Reddish were on the same Duke team. I totally forgot about that. Um, But yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Overall, this is an A offseason for the Lakers. They mopped the floor with everybody else in terms of the value signings and the 
contracts they were able to get these new guys in on and also the guys they were able to retain from the trade deadline last season to the point tommy where a bunch of beat reporters mainly that far far quad guy from the clippers <laughs> they were like how do the lakers have all this money <laughs> so that just that just kind of shows you how well rob palenka did this offseason rob doesn't understand the cap Rob doesn't understand the gap that he's just pulling shit out of his butt like a magician. So, and it is so far been quite a magical offseason. We'll see what happens with regards to the last one or two roster spots. And Tommy, we've got Summer League, baby. So <laughs> we're already playing with uh, Jalen Hitchafino, Max Christie, Colin Castleton, Demoy Hodge, Cole Swider, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun July. Everybody stay cool. Have a happy 4th of July. And uh, yeah. The Lakers brought the fireworks early. Hey. Um, all right, Tavi. I'll catch you later. Happy 4th. Happy 4th. Peace. See ya.